Hi, this is John, and believe it or not, we're looking at the very last book in the Bible, the very last lesson in the book of Revelation, verses 15 through 22. And some of these can be so overwhelming and a little bit confusing because they just seem to be speaking a different language, even though they're in English, that language of apocalyptic. It's really, really nice to have inspired help and inspired people who can kind of give us a you know 30,000 foot view to back off a little bit, not miss the forest for the trees, and kind of summarize it. And then we can go into more detail. So what I want to do first is just read the synopsis to the chapters, starting in 15 through 22. So chapter 15, synopsis. Exalted saints praise God in celestial glory forever. Chapter 16. God pours out plagues upon the wicked. The nations assemble for Armageddon. Christ comes, islands flee, and mountains cease. <laughs> it sounds pretty plate tectonic-y. Chapter 17. John is shown that Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations, has become established throughout the earth. Chapter 18. The saints are called out of Babylon, lest they partake of her sins. She falls and is lamented by her supporters. Chapter 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb is made ready. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Chapter 20. Satan is bound during the millennium. The saints will then live and reign with Christ. The dead stand before God and are judged out of the books according to their works. Chapter 21. Those who overcome will be sons of God. The earth attains its celestial glory. Chapter 22, the saints will reign in celestial splendor. Christ will come. Men will be judged. Blessed are they who keep his commandments. Now, if you don't get anything else, if you just look at those, you kind of have an outline of events and principles, and you can even hear some warnings in there. When I look at 15 and 16, I see the phrase, the wrath of God. When I look at 16, I also see the wrath of God. People repent not of their deeds. Verse 15, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. And as I've mentioned before, the different metaphors for the second coming of Christ are helpful. Coming as a thief is completely without warning. But coming as a woman in travail, it sounds more like those who are aware of the signs, a woman in travail knows when the baby is coming. She has known for months that the baby is coming, and she has signs when it gets closer, and we will too, which is helpful. So chapter 18, Babylon is fallen, and you can almost hear hymns, Babylon the great is falling, God shall all her powers overthrow, chapter 18, verse 2. And Boy, I'm looking at the words here. Fornication, plagues, just a lot of kind of law of chastity type references. <laughs> Revelation 19, verse 2. True and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. Whoa. So pretty harsh stuff. 
What's all this about? Well, please remember, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. The world is full of fornication. And so kind of going about that worst outward visible addictive sins of pornography and things like that, we see a lot of that kind of being described as the world and Babylon. They're all about lust and and no commitment and stuff like that. But then we get this contrast in chapter 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb is made ready. We recall that back in the book of book of Isaiah, way back, where it talks about the daughters of Zion walk, walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a tinkling with their feet. And then it goes on for verses to describe earrings and bracelets and all sorts of ornaments and things like that. Well, some look at that and say, oh, this is a condemnation against, you know, earrings and, and jewelry and stuff like that. Well, that's one way to look at it, but I think the way to look at it is here is the church in apostasy or the people of the world in apostasy trying to attract other lovers when they are supposed to be engaged, betrothed to Christ and are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And when you see it that way, you see why all these chapters talk about fornication and whores and things like that. Well, that's the world trying to attract other lovers instead of being prepared and preparing and repenting because the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. Well, chapter 19, I want to spend a little more time on because it talks about this wonderful event of the marriage supper. Remember that supper throughout the New Testament, if to eat with people is to accept them and to affirm them. And the Lord wants to sit down with us at a meal. I mean, that's, that's the sacrament. We're sitting down at the Last Supper with him and partaking with him at the sacrament table. Let's go to chapter Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb, capital L Lamb, Jesus, is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. But he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant. Here's this angel that's talking to John. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That verse right there is very helpful when we look at things like, you know, the Isaiah chapters. For example, in 2 Nephi 12 through 24, we have that large block of Isaiah chapters. In 2 Nephi 25, Nephi gives his keys for understanding Isaiah, and one of them is to have the spirit of prophecy. And we might respond with, well, gee, that's easy for you, Nephi. You're, you're a prophet, and, and you have the spirit of prophecy. What about us? Well, 
The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, according to Revelation 19.10. What does that mean? Well, if you have a testimony of Christ, where did you get it? You got it by revelation. You got it by prophecy. You are, you out there who are listening, are prophets and prophetesses. A small letter P, perhaps. You're not the prophet over the church, but you are a prophet for yourself, a prophetess for yourself, because you have a testimony of Christ. Well, where in the world did you get that? Well, you got it from God. That is the spirit of prophecy. So that verse is a a good one to mark. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy in Revelation 19.10. I I love the idea of this marriage finally happening, of Jesus the Lamb being the bridegroom and the saints being the bride, because it's a happy, beautiful, wonderful, celebratory event. Now, reading from page 340 in the book, Verse by Verse, Acts Through Revelation by D. Kelly Ogden and Andrew C. Skinner. I love these New Testament commentaries. Here's the paragraph on Revelation 19, verses 7, 8, and 9. Israel's covenant relationship with their Lord is a marriage covenant, which requires the most fidelity, sacrifice, commitment, and long-suffering of all relationships. God's marriage to his people is featured in the writings of Ezekiel in chapter 16 and 23, Hosea in chapter 2, and in Matthew 22. The marriage feast of the Son, capital S Son, begins at his second coming, and the elders and sisters of the Church of Jesus Christ are even now inviting people throughout the world to attend. The Lamb's wife his church, is making herself ready. See, there's the bride. The fine linen in which she is arrayed is the righteousness of the saints. Often quoted in ancient and modern scripture is the phrase, put on thy beautiful garments. Isaiah 52, 1, for example, and also Moroni 10. Awake and arise from the dust, O Jerusalem, yea, and put on thy beautiful garments, O daughter of Zion and strengthen thy stakes, and enlarge thy borders forever. So putting on thy beautiful garments, this is a marriage imagery. It's a a temple imagery. And this is what it's all about. The Savior coming back and each of us being invited to the Savior's table. To flee Babylon to leave Babylon and come to the marriage table and eat with the Lord, which is just, what a wonderful invitation. Who would want to refuse that one? Now, one of the things that I find interesting is the whole idea of the second coming. When will Jesus come? It's a friend of mine who teaches finance at BYU, says he sometimes asks his students, if you, had, if you could ask Jesus anything, what would you ask him? And they say, well, I'd ask him when the second coming will be. We, we hear phrases like in Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. We hear vase, uh, phrases in the Doctrine and Covenants like that, that he's coming quickly, and it's even at the doors. And it's like, well, you've been saying that for 200 years. I, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Quickly, according to Elder McConkie, 
can mean suddenly or without warning. So that's a little bit different than coming quickly means it really, it really soon from now. Well, quickly can mean in a quick moment, uh, suddenly or without any warning. I want to go back to something I said before so I don't forget. In section 106 and of the Doctrine and Covenants, verses 4 and 5, you remember we were talking about that metaphor of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Well, section 106 explains this beautifully, that that is the metaphor for the world. So I wanted to read that, not just mention it. Section 106, verse 4, Again, verily I say unto you, The coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and it overtaketh the world as a thief in the night. It overtaketh the world as a thief in the night. Verse 5, Therefore gird up your loins, that ye may be the children of light, and that day shall not overtake you as a thief. So I love that that metaphor was meant, that without any warning whatsoever, was meant for the world. And for us, who are invited to walk in the light and to watch, we will have an idea. So there's a quotation of the prophet Joseph Smith. I'm now looking at, let's see, let me give you the exact footnote. The Words of Joseph Smith, edited by Andrew E. Hatt and Lyndon W. Cook. James Burgess recorded this discourse of Joseph Smith, responding to Matthew 24, 36, saying, Christ says, No man knoweth the day or the hour when the Son of Man cometh. This is a sweeping argument for sectarianism against Latter-dayism. Did Christ speak this as a general principle throughout all generations? Oh no, he spoke in the present tense. No man that was then living upon the footstool of God knew the day or the hour. But he did not say that there was no man throughout all generations that should not know the day or the hour. No, for this would be in flat contradiction with other scripture. For the prophet says that God will do nothing but what he will reveal unto his servants, the prophets. See Amos 3.7. Consequently, if it is not made known to the prophets, it will not come to pass. So, Joseph Smith seems to be saying there, if this uh, James Burgess recollection and note is correct, is that uh, God will tell his prophets what's going to happen, and they will tell God's people. So, we should be listening very closely for what our prophets and church leaders are saying so that it will not overtake us as a thief in the night. Continuing from Richard Draper's book called The Savior's Prophecies, From the Fall of Jerusalem to the Second Coming, this book, The Savior's Prophecies, was published in 2001 by Covenant Communications. This is what Richard Draper said, and we interviewed Dr. Draper on the Follow Him podcast. He said, God tells his prophets what is going to happen, and they tell God's people. It then becomes the saints' task to prepare. The Lord has assured us that, if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. The Lord is prepared and continues to prepare his people for what is to come. This includes his second coming. He told the saints as early as 1834, The coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and it overtaketh the world as a thief in the night. Therefore, gird up your loins, 
that ye may be the children of light, and that day shall not overtake you as a thief, which is what I just read. Note that it is the world that will know neither the day nor the hour. God's people will be ready because they will know how and when to prepare. God will keep them informed in two ways. The first will be through the signs of the times. God has provided the means for his people to interpret events within the context of his coming. The second will be the prophet, but his voice will come last to pinpoint and confirm the earlier evidence. Let me stress, Dr. Draper continues, that God will use the signs of the times to keep his saints informed of the season and to encourage them in their vigilance. He has said, Ye look and behold the fig trees, and ye see them with your eyes, and ye and ye say, when they begin to shoot forth, and their leaves are yet tender, the summer is nigh. The summer is now nigh at hand, even so it shall be in that day, when they shall see all these things, then shall they know that the hour is nigh. That's Doctrine and Covenants section 45, verses 37 and 38. Therefore, we, we must read the signs so that when the prophet gives the word, we will already be prepared to follow his direction. So, I love that idea. I love that even though these prophecies sound scary and kind of frightening, the Lord's saying, oh, I'm going to tell you everything. I'll, I'll even tell you signs. So it won't be frightening to you. In fact, it will be testimony building to you as you see it. Are we going to escape every problem? It sounds like we're not. But we will the Lord in his mercy is telling us, here's what's going to happen, which is really nice to know. And the last thing that you might want to emphasize as you teach this and think about it is there's verses about this final judgment. There are many judgments, partial judgments. So the fact that you came to earth is a partial judgment. Where you go at death, paradise or prison is a partial judgment. I suspect you'll be able to tell when you're resurrected something about what kingdom of glory, perhaps. But I love what President Uchtdorf said in a, a talk called How Great, Oh, How Great the Plan of Our God, given in October 2016 General Conference. He said, The day of judgment will be a day of mercy and love, a day when broken hearts are healed, when tears of grief are replaced with tears of gratitude, when all will be made right. Yes, there will be deep sorrow because of sin. Yes, there will be regrets and even anguish because of our mistakes, our foolishness, and our stubbornness that caused us to miss opportunities for a much greater future. But I have confidence that we will not only be satisfied with the judgment of God, we will also be astonished and overwhelmed by His infinite grace, mercy, generosity, and love for us, His children. That's a good way to end. <laughs> the book of Revelation, with a merciful judgment. Well, I look forward to talking to you next year. I hope this has been helpful, and we'll see you then.